0: Drabble Classics, a weekly podcast featuring archived episodes of the Drabblecast drawn from the vault and injected with reanimation serum for your listening pleasure. Edited by Charity Hilton. Enjoy.
1: Time for Drabble Classics. So you are probably sitting at home right now thinking, man, I wish I had a story to listen to that has Lovecraft themes but, get this, set in outer space. But that probably doesn't even exist, you're thinking. Don't worry, we've got you covered. Sarah Monette and Elizabeth Baer have written three such stories for the Drabblecast, all of them two-parters, and I'm going to send the first one your way today. If you like the universe, and you will, You can also find Boojim and The Wreck of the Charles Dexter Ward in later Drabblecast episodes, and those are all captivating stories. There's even an interview with the authors on The Drabblecast B-Sides, episode number 34, so once you listen to all three stories, you can check that out, too. Here today, we have the story that started it all. This is Mongoose, part one, from July 3rd, 2010. Let's listen.
0: Welcome to the Drabblecast, episode 170. The Drabblecast is a weekly flash fiction audio magazine that brings strange stories by strange authors to strange listeners, such as yourself. I'm your host, Norm Sherman. Well, we're doing something special for you folks this week. We've got a bit of a longer story than the type you're used to on the show, so we split it up into a two-part special with bells and whistles and a full cast. I think you're going to enjoy But first, of course, each week on the show before the main course, we offer a 100-word story hors d'oeuvre. Jesus, Carl. Sorry, that was my cat. Apparently going through some sort of unholy metamorphosis or something. Or menopause. Tomato, tomato. Anyways, where was I? Ah, yes, travel time. This week's Drabble is called The Monkeys, and it comes to us from Christopher Monroe. Chris is a touring actor and stand-up comedian from Western Canada, and this is his second appearance on the Drabblecast, his first being The Time Machine, back in episode 147, A Great Little Drabble. This Drabble is masterfully read to you by the Drabblecast formite Miss Mika, as the story was pulled from the Drabblecast fancast The Dribblecast, a podcast where Drabblecast fans read what other Drabblecast fans write. This thing has exploded, people, and it's open to anyone. Try your hand at writing and or producing short 100-word stories by getting connected with the Dribblecast. There's some really fun and impressive stuff going on there. Find it at dribblecast.posterous.com or linked in our show notes.
2: The monkeys, by Munzee Read by Ms. Mika Backstage are two cages In one cage... The monkeys! The monkeys are delightful! They juggle and balance on balls. They wear adorable hats. And best of all, they genuinely like people. Should you want to shake their little monkey hands, you can. Should you want a picture with them, feel free to take one. In the other cage, the other monkeys. They're not delightful. The other monkeys, half-starved, are agitated into a rage. They're trained to fight with knives, and they hate human beings instinctively. Also, they have rabies. Tonight, the audience was good. Let loose the good monkeys. You have been listening to the Dribblecast, made by fans of the Drabblecast. If you are not listening already, you should definitely check it out at Drabblecast.org.
0: See, be a good audience, folks. We don't like sicking bad monkeys on you people. It hurts us as much as it hurts you. So, our feature story this week and next, Mongoose by Elizabeth Bear and Sarah Monette. Miss Monette grew up in Oak Ridge, Tennessee, one of the three secret cities of the Manhattan Project, and now lives in a 104-year-old house in the Upper Midwest with a great many books, four cats, and one husband. Her short stories have appeared in Strange Horizons, Weird Tales, and Lady Churchill's Rosebud Wristlet, among other venues, and have been reprinted in several years' best anthologies. She's written one novel, A Companion to Wolves, and three short stories with Miss Bear and hopes to write more. Visit her online at www.sarahmonette.com. Miss Bear was born on the same day as Frodo and Bilbo Baggins, but in a different year. She lives in Connecticut, and her hobbies include rock climbing, cooking, kayaking, taking her giant ridiculous dog for long walks, playing some of the worst guitar ever heard, annoying her cat, and finding all sorts of things to do besides write. She's a recipient of several genre awards, including Two Hugos and The Sturgeon. Her most recent novels are Chill in 2010 and By the Mountain Bound in 2009, and she's involved in an awesome ongoing narrative experiment at www.shadowunit.org. Joining me in the narration, voice actresses Abby Cradon, who you heard not too long ago in episode 157, Brief Candle by Ruthena Emerys, and Lauren Singer, who read for us in episode 156, Go Into the Chapel by Sandra O'Dell. You can find each of their links in our show notes. Both Abby and Lauren are pleasures to work with. Alright crew, relax, kick your tendrils up, and listen closely to the vibrations of my throat. Without further ado, we bring you... Mongoose, by Sarah Monette and Elizabeth Baer. Israel Irizari stepped through a bright scarred airlock onto Kadath Station, lurching a little as he adjusted to station gravity. On his shoulder, Mongoose extended her neck, her barbels flaring, flicked her tongue out to taste the air, and colored a question. Another few steps, and he smelled what Mongoose smelled. The sharp stink of toves, ammoniac and bitter. He touched the tentacle coiled around his throat with the quick double tap that meant soon. Mongoose colored displeasure, and Irizari stroked the slick velvet wedge of her head in consolation and restraint. Her four compound and twelve simple eyes glittered and her color softened, but did not change as she leaned into the caress. She was eager to hunt, and he didn't blame her. The boujum Manfred von Richthofen took care of its own vermin. Mongoose had to make do with a share of Irizari's rations, and she hated eating dead things. If Irizari could smell toves, it was more than the minor infestation the message from the stationmaster had led him to expect. Of course, that message had reached Irizari third or fourth or fifteenth hand, and he had no idea how long it had taken. Perhaps when the stationmaster had sent for him, it had been minor. But he knew the ways of bureaucrats, and he wondered. People did double-takes as he passed, even the heavily modded Christian cultists with their telescoping limbs and violin eyes. You found them on every station, and steel ships too, though mostly they wouldn't work the Bojums. Nobody liked Christians much, but they could work in situations that would kill an unmodded human, or even a gilly. so captains and station masters tolerated them. There were a lot of gillies in Kadath's hallways, and they all stopped to blink at Mongoose. Irizari felt one of Mongoose's tendrils work itself through two of his earrings. Although she didn't understand staring exactly, her compound eyes made the idea alien to her. She felt the attention, and was made shy by it. Unlike the Boojum ships they serviced, the stations, Providence, Karath, Lang, Dunwich, and the others, were man made. Their radial symmetry was predictable, and to find the station master, Irizarry only had to work his way inward from the Manfred von Richthofen's dock to the hub. There, he found one of the inevitable safety maps. You are here. In case of decompression, proceed in an orderly manner to the life vaults located here, here, or here and leaned close to squint at the tiny lettering. Mongoose copied him, tilting her head first one way, then another, though flat representations meant nothing to her. Finally, he made out Station Master's office on an oval bubble, the door of which was actually in sight. Here we go, girl, he said to Mongoose, who, stone-deaf though she was, pressed against him in response to the vibration of his voice. He hated this part of the job, hated dealing with apparatchiks and functionaries, and of course the stationmaster's office was full of them. A receptionist, and then a secretary, and then someone who was maybe the other kind of secretary, and then finally, Mongoose by now halfway down the back of his shirt and entirely hidden by his hair, and Irazari himself half stifled by memories of someone he didn't want to remember being. He was ushered into an inner room where stationmaster Lee, her arms crossed and her round face set in a scowl, was waiting.
3: Mister Irizarry,
0: she said, unfolding her arms long enough to stick one hand out in a facsimile of a congenial greeting. He held up a hand in response, relieved to see no sign of recognition in her face. It was Irizarry's experience that dead lives were best left to lie where they fell. Ah, uh, sorry, Station Master, he said. I can't. He thought of asking her about the reek of toves on the air if she understood just how bad the situation had become. People could convince themselves of a lot of bullshit, given half a chance. Instead, he decided to talk about his partner. Ah, yeah, Mongoose hates it when I touch other people. She gets jealous, like a parrot.
3: The Cheshire's here.
0: She let her hand drop to her side, the expression on her face a mixture of respect and alarm.
3: Is it out of phase?
0: Well, Elise Station Master Lee knew a little more about Cheshire Cats than most people. Now, Irazari said, she's down my shirt. Half a standard hour later, wading through the damp bowels of a ventilation pour, Irazari tapped his rebreather to clear some of the Tove stench from his nostrils and mouth. It didn't help much. He was getting close. Here, Mongoose wasn't shy at all, She slithered up on top of his head, barbels and graspers extended to full length, pulsing slowly in predatory greens and reds. Her tendrils slithered through his hair and coiled about his throat, fading in and out of phase. He placed his fingertips on her slick, resilient hide to restrain her. The last thing he needed was for Mongoose to go spectral and charge off down the corridor after the Tove colony. It wasn't that she wouldn't come back, because she would but that was only if she didn't get herself into more trouble than she could get out of without his help. Steady, he said, though of course she couldn't hear him. A creature adapted to vacuum had no ears, but she could feel his voice vibrate in the throat and a tendril brushed his lips, feeling the puff of air and the shape of the word. He tapped her tendril twice again. Soon. And then felt it contract. She flashed hungry orange in his peripheral vision. She was experimenting with jaguar rosettes. They'd had long discussions of jaguars and tigers after their nightly reading of Pooh on the Manfred von Richthofen, as Mongoose had wanted to know what jaguars and tigers were. Irizarry had already taught her about mongooses, and he'd read Alice in Wonderland so she would know what a Cheshire cat was. Two days later, he still remembered it vividly, She had disappeared quite slowly, starting with the tips of the long coils of her tail and tendrils, and ending with the needle-sharp crystalline array of her teeth. And then she'd phased back in, all excited aquamarine and pink, almost bouncing, and he'd praised her and stroked her and reminded himself not to think of her as a cat, or a mongoose. She had readily grasped the distinction between jaguars and jaguars, and had almost as quickly decided that she was a jaguar. Irazari had almost started to argue, but then thought better of it. She was, after all, a very good dropper, and nobody ever saw her coming unless she wanted them to. When the faint glow of the toves came into view at the bottom of the pour, he felt her shiver all over, luxuriantly before she shimmered dark and folded herself tight against his scalp. Irazari doused his own lights as well, flipping the passive infrared goggles down over his eyes. Toves were as blind as Mongoose was deaf, but an infestation this bad could mean the cracks were growing large enough for bigger things to wiggle through. And if there were Wraths, no sense in letting the monsters know he was coming. He tapped the tendril curled around his throat three times and whispered, Go. She didn't need him to tell her twice. Really, he thought wryly, she didn't need him to tell her at all. He barely felt her featherweight disengage before she was gone down the corridor as silently as a hunting owl. She was invisible to his goggles, her body at ambient temperature, But he knew from experience that her barbels and veins would be spread wide, and he'd hear the shrieks when she came in among the Toves. The Toves covered the corridor ceiling, arm-long carapaces adhered by a foul-smelling secretion that oozed from between sections of their exoskeletons. The upper third of each Tove's body bent down like a dangling bough, bringing the glowing, sticky lure and flesh-ripping pinchers into play. Irazari had no idea what they fed on in their own phase, or dimension, or whatever. Here though, he knew what they ate. Anything they could get. He kept his shock probe ready, splashing after to assist her if it turned out necessary. That was sure a lot of Toves, and even a Cheshire Cat could get in trouble if she was outnumbered. Ahead of him, a Tove warbled and went suddenly dark. Mongoose had made her first kill. Within moments, the Tove colony was in full warble, the harmonics making Erizari's head ache. He moved forward carefully, alert now for signs of wraths. The largest Tove colony he'd ever seen was on the derelict steelship, Jenny Lind, which he and Mongoose had explored when they were working salvage on the Boozham, Harriet Tubman. The hull had been covered inside and out with toves. The colony was so vast that having eaten everything else, it had started cannibalizing itself, toves eating their neighbors and being eaten in turn. Mongoose had glutted herself before the Harriet Tubman ate the wreckage, and in the refuse she left behind, Irizarry had found the strange, star-like bones of an adult wrath consumed by its own prey. The Bandersnatch that had killed the humans on the Jenny Lind had died with her reactor core and her captain. A handful of passengers and crew had escaped to tell the tale. He refocused. This colony wasn't as large as those heaving masses on the Jenny Lind, but it was the largest he'd ever encountered not in a quarantine situation. If there weren't Wraths on Kadath Station, he'd eat his infrared goggles. cove landed at his feet, its eyeless head neatly separated from its segmented body, and a heartbeat later, Mongoose phased in on his shoulder and made her deep clicking noise that meant, "'Irasari, pay attention!' He held his hand out, raised to shoulder level, and Mongoose flowed between the two, keeping her bulk on his shoulder, with tendrils resting against his lips and larynx, but her tentacles wrapping around his hand to communicate. He pushed his goggles up with his free hand and switched on his belt light so he could read her colors. She was anxious, strobing yellow and green. Many, she shaped against his palm, and then, emphatically, R. R was bad. It meant wrath. But it was better than B. If a Bandersnatch had come through, all of them were walking dead, and Kadath Station was already as doomed as the Jenny Lind. Do you smell it? He asked under the warbling of the Toves. Taste, said Mongoose, and because Irazari had been her partner for almost five solar, he understood. The Toves tasted of Wrath, meaning that they had recently been feeding on Wrath Guano, and given the swiftness of Tove's digestive systems, that meant a Wrath was patrolling territory on the station. Mongoose's grip tightened on his shoulder. Arr, she said again, arr, arr, arr. Irizarry's heart lurched and sank. More than one Wrath. The cracks were widening. A bandersnatch was only a matter of time. Station Master Lee didn't want to hear it. It was all there in the way she stood, the way she pretended distraction to avoid eye contact. He knew the rules of this game, probably better than she did. He stepped into her personal space. Mongoose shivered against the nape of his neck, her tendrils threading his hair. Even without being able to see her, he knew she was a deep, anxious emerald. A wrath? Said Station Master Lee with a toss of her head that might have looked flirtatious on a younger or less hostile woman. Don't be ridiculous.
3: There hasn't been a wrath on Kudath Station since my grandfather's time.
0: Doesn't mean there isn't an infestation now, Irazari said quietly. If she was going to be dramatic, this was his cue to stay still and calm. Oh, and I said, wraths, plural.
3: That's even more ridiculous. Mr. Irizari, if this is some ill-conceived attempt to drive up your price...
0: It isn't. He was careful to say it flatly, not indignantly. Station Master, I understand that this isn't what you want to hear, but you have to quarantine Kadath.
3: Can't be done.
0: She said, her tone brisk and flat, as if he'd asked her to pilot Kadath through the rings of Saturn. Of course it can, Irizari said, and she finally turned to look at him, outraged that he dared to contradict her. Against his neck, Mongoose flexed one set of claws. She didn't like it when he was angry. Mostly, that wasn't a problem. Mostly, Irizari knew anger was a waste of time and energy. It didn't solve anything, it didn't fix anything. It couldn't bring back anything that was lost, people, lives, the sorts of things that got washed away in the tides of time or were purged, whether you wanted them gone or not. But this was just... You do know what a colony of adult Wraths can do, don't you? With a contained population of prey? Tell me, Station Master, have you started noticing fewer indigents in the shelters? She turned away again, dismissing his existence from her cosmology.
3: The matter is not open for discussion, Mr. Irizari. I hired you to deal with an alleged infestation. I expect you to do so. If you feel you can't, you're of course welcome to leave the station with whatever ship takes your fancy. I believe that Arthur Gordon Pym is headed in system, or perhaps you'd prefer the Jupiter Run.
0: He didn't have to win this fight, he reminded himself. He could walk away, try to warn somebody else, get himself and Mongoose the hell off Kadath Station. All right, Station Master, but remember that I warned you when your secretaries start disappearing. He was at the door when she cried. "Irazari!" He stopped, but didn't turn. I can't. She said, low and rushed, as if she was afraid of being overheard.
3: I can't quarantine the station. Our numbers are already in the red this quarter, and the new political officer. It's my head on the block. Don't you understand?
0: He didn't understand didn't want to it was one of the reasons he was a wayfarer because he never wanted to let himself be like her again
3: if sanderson finds out about the quarantine she finds out about you will your papers stand up to a close inspection mr Irizarry?
0: he wheeled mouth open to tell her what he thought of her and her clumsy attempts at blackmail and she said
3: i'll double your fee
0: at the same time mongoose tugged on several strands of his hair, and he realized he could feel her heart beating, hard and rapid, against his spine. It was her distress, he answered, not the Station Master's bribe. All right, he said, I'll do the best I can. Toves and Wraths colonized like an epidemic, outward from a single originating point. Patient zero in this case, being the tear in space-time that the first Tove had wriggled through. More tears would develop as the Toves multiplied, but it was that first one that would become large enough for a Wrath. While Toves were simply lazy, Energy efficient, the Archimers said primly, and never crawled farther than was necessary to find a usable anchoring point. Wraths were cautious. Their marauding was centered on the original tear because they kept their escape route open and tore it wider and wider. Toves weren't the problem, although they were a nuisance, with their tendency to use up valuable oxygen, clog ductwork, eat pets, drip goo from ceilings, and crunch wetly when you stepped on them. Wraths were worse. Wraths were vicious predators. Their natural prey might be toves, but they didn't draw the line at disappearing weakened humans or small gillies either. But even they weren't the danger that had made it hard for Irizari to sleep the past two rest shifts. What Toves tore and Wraths widened was an access for the apex predator of this alien food chain. The Bandersnatch, Pseudocanus tyndalosi. The old records in the indigent Archimers called them Hounds, but of course they weren't any more than Mongoose was a cat. Irizarry had seen archive videos from derelict stations and ships, the Bandersnatch's flickering angular limbs appearing like spiked mantis arms from the corners of sealed rooms. The carnage that ensued. He'd never heard of anyone left alive on a station where a Bandersnatch manifested, unless they made it to a panic pod damned fast. More importantly, even the Arkimers in their archive ships, breeders of mongoose and all her kind, Admitted they had no records of anyone surviving a Bandersnatch rather than escaping it. And what he had to do, loosely put, was find the core of the infestation before the Bandersnatches did. So that he could eradicate the Toves and Wraths and the stress they were putting on this little corner of the universe. Find the core somewhere in the miles upon miles of Kadath's infrastructure. Which was why he was in this little-used service corridor letting mongoose commune with every ventilation duct they found. The stench infiltrated the edges of Irazari's mask as he lifted his face to a ventilation duct. Wincing in anticipation, he broke the seal on the rebreather and pulled it away from his face on the stiff elastic straps, careful not to lose his grip. A broken nose would not improve his day. A cultist engineer skittered past on sucker tipped limbs, her four snake arms coiled tight beside her for the narrow corridor. She had a pretty smile for a Christian. Mongoose was too intent on her prey to be shy. The size of the Tove colony might make her nervous, but Mongoose loved the smell. Like a good dinner heating, Irazari imagined. She unfolded herself around his head like a tendrilled hood, tentacles outreached, body flaring as she stretched toward the ventilation fan. He felt her lean, her barbels shivering, and turned to face the way her wedge-shaped head twisted. He almost tipped backwards when he found himself, face to face with someone he hadn't even known was there. A woman, average height, average weight, brown hair drawn back in a smooth club. Her skin was space-pale and faintly reddened across the cheeks, as if the IR filters on her suit hadn't quite protected her. She wore a sleek space-black uniform with dull silver epaulets and four pewter-colored bands at each wrist an insignia with a stylized sun and earth-moon dyad clung over her heart. The political officer was obviously unconcerned by Mongoose's ostentatious display of sensory equipment. Mongoose absorbed her tendrils in like a startled anemone, pressing the warm underside of her head to Irizari's scalp where the hair was thinning. He was surprised that she didn't vanish down his shirt because he felt her trembling against his neck. The political officer didn't extend her hand.
4: Mr. Irizarry, you're a hard man to find. I'm Intelligence Colonel Sadhi Sanderson. I'd like to ask you a few questions, please.
0: Uh, I'm a little busy right now, Irizarry said, and added uneasily, ma'am. The last thing he wanted was to offend her. Sanderson looked up at Mongoose.
4: Yes, you would appear to be hunting,
0: she said her voice dry as scouring powder.
4: That's one of the things I want to talk about.
0: Oh shit. He'd kept out of the political officer's way for a day and a half, and really, that was a pretty good run, given the obvious tensions between Lee and Sanderson, and the things he'd heard in the transient barracks. The Gillies were all terrified of Sanderson, and nobody seemed to have a good word for Lee. Even the Christians, mouths thinly primmed, could say of Lee only that she didn't actively persecute them. Irazari had been stuck on a steel ship with a Christian congregation for nearly half a year once, and he knew of their eagerness to speak well of everyone. He didn't know whether that was actually part of their faith or just a survival tactic, but when Elder Dawson said, She does not trouble us, he understood quite precisely what that meant. Of Sanderson, they said even less, but Irazari understood that too. There was no love lost between the extremist cults and the government. He'd heard plenty from the ice miners and dock workers, and particularly from the crew of an impounded steel ship, who were profanely eloquent on the subject. Upshot, Colonel Sanderson was new in town, cleaning house, and profoundly not a woman you wanted to screw with. "Um, I'd be happy to come to your office in an hour, maybe two, he said. It's just that... Mongoose's grip on his scalp tightened, sudden and sharp enough that he yelped. He realized that her head had moved back toward the duct while he fenced weakly with Colonel Sanderson, and now it was nearly in the duct, at the end of a foot and a half of iridescent neck.
4: Mr. Irizari
0: He held up a hand, because really this wasn't a good time, and yelped again when Mongoose reached down and grabbed it. He knew better than to forget how fluid her body was, that it was really no more than a compromise with the dimension he could sense her in, but sometimes it surprised him anyway. And then, Mongu said, Najina. And if Colonel Sanderson hadn't been standing right there, her eyebrows indicating that he was already at the very end of the slack she was willing to cut, he would have cursed out loud. Short of a bandersnatch, and that could still be along any time now, don't forget, Irazari, a breeding wrath was the worst news you could have.
4: Cheshire seems unsettled,
0: Sanderson said, not sounding in the least alarmed.
4: Is there a problem?
0: Ah, She's eager to eat, and she doesn't like strangers. It was as true as anything you could say about Mongoose, and the violent colors cycling down her tendrils gave him an idea what her chromatophores were doing behind his head.
4: I can see that. Cobalt and yellow in that stippled pattern, and flickering in and out of phase. She's acting aggressive, but that's fear, isn't it?
0: Whatever Irazari had been about to say, her observation stopped him short. He blinked at her, like a gilly. he thought, uncharitably, and only realized he'd taken yet another step back when the warmth of the bulkhead pressed his coveralls to his spine. You know, Sanderson said, mock confidentially.
4: This entire corridor reeks of toves. So... Let me guess. It's not just Toves anymore.
0: Irazari was still stuck at her being able to read Mongoose's colors. What do you know about Cheshire's? he said. She smiled at him as if at a slow student.
4: Rather a lot. I was on the Jenny Lind as an ensign. There was a Cheshire on board. And I saw... It's not the sort of thing you forget, Mr. Irazari, having been there once.
0: Something complicated crossed her face, there for a flash, and then gone. The Cheshire that died on the Jenny Lind was called Demon, Irazari said. Her partner was Long Mike Spider. You knew them?
4: Spider John,
0: Sanderson said, looking down at the backs of her hands. She picked a cuticle with the opposite thumbnail.
4: He went by Spider John. You have the Cheshire's name right, though.
0: When she looked back up, the arc of her carefully shaped brow told him that he hadn't been fooling anyone. Ah, right, Irizarry said. Spider-John.
4: They were friends of mine.
0: She shook her head.
4: I was just a pup, first billet, and I was assigned as demon's liaison. Spider-John liked to say he and I had the same job, but I couldn't make the captain believe him when he tried to tell her how bad it was.
0: How'd you make it off after the Bandersnatch got through, Irazari asked. He wasn't foolish enough to think that her confidences were anything other than a means of demonstrating to him why he could trust her, but the frustration and tired sadness sounded sincere.
4: It went for Spider-John first. It must have known he was a threat. And Demon, she threw herself at it, never mind it was five times her size. She bought us time to get to the Panic Pod, and Captain Golovina time to get to the Core Overrides.
0: She paused.
4: I saw it, you know. Just a glimpse, wriggling through this... this rip in the air, like a big gaunt hound, ripping through a hole in a blanket with naughty paws. I spent years wondering if it got my scent. Once they sent prey, you know, they never stop.
0: She trailed off, raising her gaze to meet his. He couldn't decide if the furrow between her eyes was embarrassment at having revealed so much, or the calculated cataloging of his response. So you recognize the smell is what you're saying. She had a way of answering questions with other questions.
4: Am I right about the Wraths?
0: He nodded. A breeder. She winced. He took a deep breath and stepped away from the bulkhead. Colonel Sanderson, I have to get it now if I'm going to get it at all. She touched the microwave pulse pistol at her hip.
4: Want some company?
0: He didn't, really, truly didn't. If he had, he wouldn't have chosen Kadath Station's political officer, but he couldn't afford to offend her. And he wasn't licensed to carry a weapon. All right, he said, and hoped he didn't sound as grudging as he felt. But don't get in Mongoose's way. Colonel Sanderson offered him a tight, feral smile.
4: Wouldn't dream of it.
0: Keep phased in next week, folks, for the exciting conclusion to Mongoose by Sarah Manette and Elizabeth Bear. Really liked this one, a space opera with Lovecraft and Lewis Carroll thrown in. How could you not? Gonna duck out early this week, folks. But first, wanted to thank and recognize this week's kick-ass donor of the week. Kelly McMillan. Kelly says, as a high school English teacher, she really appreciates the awesomeness of getting great new fiction each week in convenient, easy-to-swallow, commute-sized portions to break up her otherwise terrible essay-filled existence. Kelly sounds like one rad teacher. She actually gives her students drabbles and twitfic assignments for class. Now that's what I'm talking about. We asked Kelly if she wanted to plug anything she's got going on, and she said the best she can say is that she still has a job when many of her fellow teachers don't, and she'd like to ask anyone listening to do whatever they can to support public schools and teachers during these rough times. The kids are getting the shaft, she says, and the teachers can only do so much. Not getting political or anything here, she's just saying buy the brownies at the bake sales and order the damned wrapping paper cookie dough magazines, even though we all know you have a metric crap ton in the closet already. Because you're doing more than you know. And I've got to agree. Public school teachers are the biggest group of overlooked, unsung heroes out there today. Go out and give one a hug today. Ask first, probably. Thanks, Kelly, for all your hard work and for your support of the show. Folks at home, if you enjoyed this week's story, consider making a donation to us. These things ain't cheap to put together. Particularly this week's story. We appreciate so very much whatever you can give. You can find options off of our main page, drabblecast.org. Donate once, subscribe for five bucks a month or for 10 bucks a month, whatever you're comfortable with. All right, folks, before we run, this week's 100-character twobble twit fix story winner, newcomer to the forums, pure chance with this great little story. The alien solemnly spake unto me, Take us to your leader. Nah, just kidding. We're totally gonna blow your shit up. We post the winners each week in our Twitter feed. Follow us on Twitter if you do that sort of thing. We're at the Drabblecast. So, that's our show, people. Remember, the Drabblecast is produced under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives License, which means don't change any of it, don't sell any of it, but feel free to share all you like. Write us a review on iTunes, blog about us, spread the good drabbly news. Oh, last, last thing for real. If you get the enhanced format of our show, you no doubt saw the completely badass Mongoose Art this week by Gerald Dye. Gerald's an artist, illustrator, designer, animator, programmer, and general all-around creative guy, and he's crazy talented. Check out his webpage blog at www.geralddye.com. All right, we'll see you next week, weirdos. Until then, our staff is made up of co-editors Kendall Marchman, Luke Coddington, and yours truly, Norm Sherman, reminding you that she's just down our shirts.